Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that day is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening of the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land, of Canaan that year. A Gospel reading from the 15th chapter of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, so on uh, February 1st, I was super organized for once, and I sent out an email with all of the Lent readings to the staff and the worship committee talking about what we would talk about on Wednesdays and Sundays for, the, for Lent with all of the themes so we could plan music, we could plan communications, we could do all that planning and get that done accordingly. And so just a little background, I mean, you might not know this, but each Sunday we have four possible readings that we can pick from. Uh, They get assigned in something that we call a lectionary. So pretty much if you go to any Lutheran church or even Catholic church around the country, you'll be able to to go in, and most churches are going to be able to follow a very similar lectionary. And so we get an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a New Testament reading, which tends to be one of the letters from Paul, and of course then we get a gospel. So that's from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And so in my email, I'd, I'd said there's going to be two readings for each Sunday. And so I also highlighted which reading we were going to be preaching on. And so you've, you've probably noticed that most of the readings that we've had uh, since December, as this new year has kind of gotten started, the new church year, all of the readings that are the gospel are from Luke, and that's where most of the preaching happens. It's the Luke year. So each of the... Uh, out of the three Gospels plus John, they each kind of get their own year. So we're in the middle of the Luke here. John gets kind of sprinkled in whenever there's like, well, we don't quite know which Luke reading to put here, so we're going to slip in John. So next Sunday, we get some John reading. Uh, but today, I was drawn to the Joshua reading. I, I said, look, I want to focus on that one. Yes, the, the Luke reading was really good. It's the story of the, the prodigal son. And I said, well, we're going to hear that on the Wednesday. So let's, let's pivot and let's move a little bit earlier in that Luke story, a little earlier in the Luke chapter. So that's why we heard the story of the lost sheep and then going out to find the, the lost sheep. And so with making that pivot, I thought, let's 
focus now on Joshua, hear that story, children's message can focus on the gospel. Because the Joshua reading back on February 1st, something about it just really clicked with me because I was thinking about how these Israelites had reached the promised land and they're finally able to experience this abundant blessing from God that has rewarded their patience after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And I was thinking about how that could connect to us today and thinking about our own wilderness wanderings of the last two years, what it's been like in pandemic of modified worship and trying to do things a little bit differently. And so I'm like, you know, by, by the, that time in Lent, I think it'll be safe to do kind of a, a now what sermon. What, what's worship going to be like now? And what is, what is ahead of us? I, I had all these great connections on, on how the last two years have changed us and how we've been able to adapt and, and knowing how how great this has been that we've been able to, to be connected uh, no matter what. But not all of us have made it. You know, for example, like Moses who dies before entering the promised land, some of us in our congregation have moved away. Some have found a new church home. Some people in our church have died. But conversely, some have also moved here. Some have found faith as a congregation both online or in person. And we got a lot of folks who will be uh, learning more about our congregation right after this uh, service. And also, we've had a lot of babies that have been born, and so there's been a lot of baptisms. And no, 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 I know what you're thinking. Not in my family, all right? We still only have a three-year-old. There's nothing beyond that, so no birth announcements for you guys today. However, as I think about uh, this story, this Joshua reading now, in my present context, even in just that short period of time, the context has changed. Things have changed. So I'm going to throw a little warning, a little disclaimer at you. This is the season of Lent, and I want you to know that you might walk out of the sanctuary without having everything reconciled for you. I'm not going to necessarily put everything in a nice tight little bow today. I might throw some things that will provoke some deeper thinking and some reflection. In fact, I might offer some things that could cause some dissonance. You you might be trying to find some resolution, and I'm not necessarily going to just automatically give it to you because the Bible isn't always easy to reconcile either. And that's okay. It's important for us to be challenged, to be self-aware, especially knowing that the Bible uh, creates that for us. Okay, so for example, I I want us to look at the the Joshua reading one more time because there was one particular line that if I read this a couple months ago, I wouldn't have seen it the way through the lens I see it today. And it goes like this. The Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. And so you could read this and, and think, wow, God's providence and all of this great, you know, after all of this wandering, the people are finally into this land that has been promised to them. But I couldn't help but ask myself this question. Who planted the crops? Whose land did they take? This promised land. And then I wondered to myself, why have I never cared to ask that question before? And why am I thinking about it so much right now? And then it became abundantly clear why. We think about what is happening with Russia and the cycles that we saw in World War II and now seen with Vladimir Putin. I talked about this in my newspaper article that was in the Forest Lake Times this week about how religion is a big part of Putin's motivation. He has stated that he wants Ukraine to be part of Russia because they are one people, one Orthodox church. And so I have to admit to you that I was really struggling when I reread the Joshua passage because 
to be honest with you, I knew what was going to happen next in the Joshua story. Because what happens next is something that happens in Jericho. Maybe you remember this from your Sunday school, right? The Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So they marched around the town for six days. And on the seventh day, Joshua leads them around the city. And then he tells them to yell. And when they yell, they blow trumpets. And Joshua says, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. Wait, what? God's authorizing this completely unprovoked transaction of the people ransacking a city. Wow. And so the walls come tumbling down. The city's captured. Except for Rahab, who had this Jericho woman who had helped two of the spies. She's saved along with the rest of her family, who she's kept in her room. But the people are told to burn the rest of the city down. And as the Jericho chapter comes to an end, we hear that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. And I don't feel great about this. So I wanted to know what maybe some of the backdrop was. So I researched a little bit of the history. I was reading on a website called Enter the Bible, which Luther Seminary puts out. And so they have different professors who do some of the background and some of the history and one of the professors that I, I went to seminary there, and, and Catherine Schifferdecker was one of the best, and she talked about this. She talked about there could be one other point of view for us to take in that suggests that perhaps the death and destruction of Jericho might not have actually happened as it's told in the story, at least not the way we've heard it. She talks about it in this context. She said, the story in Joshua of this invasion and an occupation of the land of Canaan by this large external force in the 13th to 12th centuries BC, it's not supported by the findings in archaeology. These cities of Jericho and Ai, which, for instance, played a prominent role in the book of Joshua, would not have been major population centers in that time period. Instead, the emergence of a distinct people called Israel in Canaan is traced back by archaeologists but it's to hundreds of small settlements in that central hill country founded in the 13th to 12th century BC. And what she's suggesting, friends, is that the land that the Israelites were given by God was perhaps hill country, farmland. It was unclaimed. It was a gathering of a bunch of nomadic tribes who had perhaps been shunned by larger Canaan city-states. Which leaves us a little bit of dissonance, doesn't it? Do we believe that story, which I think in our hearts we all want to? And then if we do that, do we have to disregard the entire violent biblical account? I don't have the answer. I don't have the correct answer. I don't don't know. And so I leave you with that dissonance. But I do want to talk about how this confronts us in this idea of land and this idea of possession because the St. Paul Area Synod reached out to all of us churches in our synod and said, look, we want you to talk about something. We have a letter to share with you from our indigenous brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, these are other churches in our synod, other church leaders and Lutherans who have come together to write a letter. And they wanted us to remember the children. And so essentially, we received this letter, and it's like getting a letter from the Canaanites in Joshua telling us about what the experience was like from them. What was the experience for them hearing about a mass grave of indigenous children? So I'm going to read you part of this letter. 
So they say, greetings in the name of our creator and in the name of Jesus, Savior of all. We speak to all of you today on behalf of indigenous people throughout North America. We come to you with sad news and sad hearts at the news of the over 200 children of the Kamloops Residential School whose remains were recently found in a mass grave and of the children of the Rosebud Sioux whose bodies were returned to their homeland. They're being remembered by many with the color orange. The color orange is symbolic and it comes from the inspiration of a survivor of that era, Phyllis Webstad, who stated that when she was a six-year-old girl arriving at a residential boarding school, she was stripped of her clothes, which included a brand new orange t-shirt that her grandmother had gifted her to her, and it was never given back. And so that orange shirt and this orange cloth that's draped over our altar today symbolizes how that church and the schools that they were administering to took away the indigenous identity of those children in their care. And so in honor and memory of those children, the First Nations people and our native children who never made it home, and for those still living the nightmare imposed upon them, we humbly ask our brothers and sisters of the church to hang these orange banners in their sanctuaries and to grieve with us and remember us as indigenous people of this land who are going through a very sad and heartbreaking time. We call on the church to acknowledge and confess where it's been complicit, con- complicit in atrocities, those that have been committed against indigenous people of North America, but also throughout the world. They're inviting us to stand in partnership with, with us for those children and to acknowledge the true history of the Western church in our country as we've participated in things like ethnic cleansing and genocide, depletion of food sources, the taking of the land and resources for our personal gains. And they end this letter by signing and saying, we ask you, the ELCA church and the bishops, the church leaders and congregations, to support our people in remembering the children. And we have to hear this and acknowledge that the history of indigenous people and Africans in our country It's not great. We can also sit in the pews today and acknowledge that perhaps we haven't played a direct role in this, but it's important for us to understand the history, to understand the deep history, the deep hurt, and the need for reconciliation in our world, and to admit that this is complicated. We gather here in this body of Christ longing to put the past behind us, yet atrocities are still happening in our world like we see in Ukraine. So what do we do? To go back to my original theme for the Sunday, it was going to be, well, now what? It's just the pivot turns to, what do we do? How do we live with our neighbors? And so the answer is to listen. To believe someone when they tell their story. To empathize. To advocate. To care. And to love. And as this orange hangs on our altar as a complicated reminder of our past, today it's not our job to solve the past. We can't fix things, but but we can certainly acknowledge it. Our temptation might be to hide some of these stories, like the stories of Joshua, which we don't preach on very often, and now I think we know why. But through our learning, we can make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. 
we have a voice. We have an important voice in our culture to be a voice of advocacy for the refugee, for the unhoused, for the hungry. We have a voice for the neighbor who's shunned for being different. A voice for the Afghan, the Ukrainian, and for our indigenous brothers and sisters. And with that voice, let's make a difference. Remember what the girls taught us in that children's video today? That sometimes we feel lost, but they reminded us that Jesus is always here, always looking for us. Jesus will scour to the ends of the earth for anyone lost. But has that message gotten out by the Christian church? Or has history shown that sometimes we, as humans and as the church, haven't done a great job at modeling that? So we can do better. It starts today. We have to do better. Our fellow creation depends on it. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.